0: All right, so we're going through this series in the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters are a little bit more um, of a coherent kind of narrative, and we walk through that section, or that, those, those chapters section by section. But then chapters 10 to 31, lots of Proverbs that, um, you know, are almost like popcorn Proverbs. You know, they're all over the place. It's harder to just go section by section. So what we're doing is covering the rest of this ground thematically. So we looked at a number of different themes. We've got a few more weeks left. And this morning, our theme is wisdom. No, sorry. Why did I just say that? (laughs) Wisdom is important. Our theme is friendship. Okay, so wisdom for friendship is this morning's theme. All right, so what is wisdom? We said the first couple weeks, defining wisdom from the Bible, something like skill or competence to live life As God intended it. He's the creator. He made the world. He knows what's best for us. He knows how it's supposed to work. So if we want to go with the grain of the universe as God has set it up, we will, like if if that's what we want and he gives us grace to do that, we will be wise. Wisdom and skill or competence to live life as God intended. It's not just an intellectual category, like being an egghead. It's actually for life. All right? So it flows from, talked about this over and over again, it flows from that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, a proper relationship with God. I'm not God. You you aren't God. He is God. And so, again, He determines what is best for us. And we trust Him in that with all of our heart. And we don't lean on our own understanding. And in all of our ways, we want to walk wisely. We acknowledge Him so that he's the one directing our steps. And that applies to every category of life, every nook and cranny, but certainly friendship. So here's the main point. I'll just kind of throw it out here right at the beginning. Here's the main point. Say it a number of times throughout. Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. Anybody hearing multiple meanings in there? There's probably at least three ways you could hear that. Like if you're awake and tracking, is that everybody? Okay. You might notice, you know, like, okay, what do you you mean? What are you saying? Well, wise Christians are the best kind of friend you can have. They make the best friends. They make good friends, right? In other words, like, Hey, if you're in the market for a friend, a wise Christian makes the best kind. You tracking with me? That's the first way you could take that sentence. Secondly, if you're a wise Christian, you will be the best kind of friend for others. Hey, if you're a wise Christian, you'll make a really good friend for others, right? Third, wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus— Well, wise Christians are proactive about making and cultivating good friends. Hey, if you're a wise Christian, you will make good friends. So which one do I mean? All of them, okay? So how does that thesis statement hit you this morning? Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. My guess is that it's possible that some of you might push back a little bit, or maybe back up a little bit, like in reaction to the statement, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, 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 but like, I haven't been great at making friends, and good grief, like, life is so full, like, I really don't have time for it, so, so what are you saying? That I'm not wise? Why, yes. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I am saying that. And you know what? Preaching myself first. For the longest time, I was quite the fool with regard to friendship. I mean, we're all on a continuum, right? From foolish to wise. And we all have room to grow. And the book of Proverbs is for all of us, whether you are the simplest or the wisest, and we want to keep growing in wisdom. We are all in need of God's wisdom to move us away from folly toward Christ-like wisdom, and that includes in the realm of friendship. So even now, at 48 years old, I, am in, I would consider myself as in grade school on friendship. And maybe I'm not alone here. So we all need to heed Proverbs 3, which is a key verse in the book in relation to friendship and how we hear this topic this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all, like, wisdom here is being open to evaluate. Maybe, maybe I need to learn a few things, and not just intellectually, right? This is wisdom for skillful living in regard to friendship. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, including friendship. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord here. So, okay, why friendship? Is it really that important? I mean, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but like, does it feel more like a luxury than a necessity? So first point, why friendship? How important is it? So I think, again, many of us probably believe, at least functionally, that friendship is optional, kind of like the icing on the cake of life. And yet loneliness is probably not news to many of you. If you've been paying attention to the news, Like loneliness is at epidemic levels. It's being labeled as a health risk, as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You know, the Surgeon General came out with this big study and you know said how like how much of a health risk it is. So one article I read, the amount of time that young people ages 15 to 24 spend with their friends in person dropped nearly 70 percent in person because now it's mediated you know digitally. 70 percent from 2003 to 2020 as long-running trends got worse when the pandemic set in. So it already started The pandemic made it worse. Half of the country says that they have three or fewer close friends. Double the number from 1990. Double meaning from... uh, What does that mean? Half the country says... Hold on, that made sense. You know what? Let's just keep moving here, uh, because the whole point is going to be clear enough. The empirical evidence is consistent. More social connection is linked with better health outcomes and vice versa. The Surgeon General's report finds that one of the first large-scale (laughs) epidemiologists epidemiological studies conducted in the late 70s found that people with low amount of social connection were more than twice as likely to die during the study period as people with high social connection even after adjusting for age health and economic status. A more recent systemic review of the available research also found that a high level of social connection led people to be 50% more likely to survive over a long follow-up period which averaged 7.5 years across the nearly hundred and fifty studies included in the review. As the report concluded in one of its most striking passages, Indeed, the effects of social connection, isolation, and loneliness on mortality are comparable, and in some cases greater than those of many other risk factors, including lifestyle factors like smoking, alcohol consumption, physical inactivity, traditional clinical risk factors like high blood pressure, body mass index, cholesterol levels, environmental factors like air pollution, and clinical interventions like high blood pressure, medication, and rehab. So it's like a health risk. CS Lewis wrote in The Four Loves, one of those loves, you know, is on friendship. I have no duty to be anyone's friend and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. And what he's getting at there is that friendship is chosen. Like you can't choose your family, right? But you can choose your friends. No claims, no shadow of necessity, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, it has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. Well, maybe it's both. (laughs) Maybe it actually does have survival, and most certainly it gives value to survival. Because Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Like all sound judgment, wisdom is going to tell you not to isolate yourself from relationships. You need relationships. You need friendships. So isolating yourself is foolish just as living selfishly for yourself is foolish. So valuing friendship is wise. Pursuing friendship is wise. Becoming a true friend is wise. It's one key way we live skillfully as God intended. So J.C. Ryle said this. Again, all of this is why. Why is this so important? He said, this world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It's a dark place. It's a lonely place. It's a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. So valuing, prioritizing, biblical friendship is wise. But also for many, this is a painful topic. Maybe you've wanted friends, you do value friendship, but they've been really hard to come by. Maybe you've had a friend and you've been betrayed. Maybe you've tried and tried You gave and you gave and it wasn't reciprocated. Or maybe you had a friend and they bailed on you. They just ghosted you. They're just gone. And you feel more like the person who used to have friends. Or you've just, yeah, this is great, but I've tried. And here I am. One consolation before we walk through some of these passages that we're going to look at. If you, brother or sister, desire and value friendship as God defines it. And if you are seeking, by God's grace, to be a Christian friend, whether you are successful or not, you are wise. Because you are valuing what God says is valuable. You are pursuing what God says you should pursue. You can't always control the outcome, right? Hardly ever control the outcome. But that is the path of wisdom. So wisdom doesn't always equate to success or satisfying fulfillment in the relational realm. So why friendship? It's obviously really important. Again, we could talk about the health benefits. Those are secondary. The greater dynamic is this is a good gift that God has given us for the good of our souls. Um, so what are the marks of friendship? A good friend. What is friendship? How would, how's that defined? Because remember, wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. So, what are the marks of good, of a good friend? What is friendship first? So we can kind of venture a definition here. There's probably better definition out there. Um, you know, sometimes it's almost better to just talk about description. Of friendship, What are some of the key marks? And we're going to get to that in a minute. But we'll venture a definition here. So a chosen relationship, because again, it's different from being born into a family. A chosen relationship where two people let each other in and don't let each other down. And some of that, I've listened and read so many things. Probably everything I say is traced back to somebody else, but whatever, okay. Chosen relationship where two people let each other in and don't let each other down. So there's intimacy, letting people in, and there's constancy, faithfulness. So a true friend lets you in, doesn't let you down. A true friend knows you completely, intimacy, and loves you anyway, constancy. A friend is someone who knows the real you and is always there for you. So it is a bond, that's the commitment, of mutual affection and trust. So we see this obviously illustrated in the Bible. If I said, you know, example of friendship in the Bible, probably most of you would say, what? Louder. Jonathan and David. Yep, absolutely. Incredible intimacy in their friendship, right? There was nothing romantic or sexual about it. But David said that the love of Jonathan was, quote, very pleasant. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. 2 Samuel 1.26. It was affectionate and intimate. But it was also a relationship of great commitment. They even made a covenant to formalize their commitment to one another. You can see that in 1 Samuel 18.3 and 20.17. Christian friendship is, in a very real sense, covenantal. So, transparency and commitment. Closeness and constancy. We see this in the Proverbs. So, Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Again, some key text here in Proverbs on friendship. And it strikes these themes. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. Commitment. Constancy. And a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So again, constancy is in view here. It's in focus. Faithfulness through thick and thin. This is more than mere lip service. Right? Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find? That doesn't just say it, but backs it up. Lives it out. True friendship is a relationship where we walk the talk. We back up our words with actions. Actions. But the talk, the talking part, is also important. So in addition to closeness and commitment, true friendship is also characterized. Listen to all these Cs. I'm so good at alliteration. um, By candor. Commitment. Um, I am just... Like half asleep here. What is the problem? Okay, closeness, commitment, and true friendship is carried by candor. That's the third C, all right? So Proverbs 27, 5. You may actually want to turn to Proverbs 27. I mean, it's going to be up here, but we're going to look at several verses in Proverbs 27. So look at verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Apparently, Oscar Wilde once said, A true friend stabs you in the front. You know, people talk about getting stabbed in the back, that's being betrayed. But a true friend will look you in the eye and say what you need to hear, even if it hurts. Better is open rebuke than hidden love, love that doesn't actually show itself. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you're committed, and if your heart's really with that person, you love them, you can say that hard thing. It's not a hit and run. A friend loves you too much to flatter you. That's the kisses of the enemy. They're just empty. They're nothing. A true friend is willing to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. So candor is important. What we say is important. Look down to verse 9 in Proverbs 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Like, why would there be earnest counsel? Because your friend cares. You're earnest when you care about that person. They really need to hear this. You you care about the outcome of their situation, their struggle, their whatever. You're with them. You're for them. So that love is a committed love, and it is often expressed in words, candid words. And that relationship, because the commitment is there, is strong enough to bear the weight of pointed words. So all these hang together. Closeness. Commitment candor. Or to change the metaphor from, you know, earlier in 27, look down at 27, 17, a very well-known verse, probably familiar to most of us here. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So sometimes this passage is quoted, you know, kind of quickly, flippantly, and all that's intended is one man encourages his friend. But pay attention to the words. If iron sharpens iron, what happens? Sparks fly. In fact, the very literal translation of the Hebrew here would be something like this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face, like the word literally is face, of a companion or friend. So to sharpen the face of is is a play on words, because the Hebrew word for face can refer to the working edge of a knife or sword. You can see that in Ecclesiastes 10.10, where this word is translated as edge. Okay? So what is typically going on if your face gets sharpened? What's going on? You're getting heated. You're getting angry. So that has led some to see this verse actually as a negative description, not something that we would want to characterize friendship. So what's going on? Well, it's certainly a friction-filled idiom of challenge, but ultimately it's a good thing. I think that's the point. And if that's true, 2717 is similar then to 27, five, and six that we just looked at. And even their proximity seems to favor that interpretation. So better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kiss kiss of an enemy. As iron sharpens iron, So one man sharpens his friend. And yeah, the sparks are going to fly, but it ultimately is good. So bottom line, there's a healthy clash of personalities and views such that you come away helped by the friction. I mean, can you be a really close friend with a yes person? No. There's not real intimacy there because they're just like, you know, telling you what you want to hear. It's not like a real exchange, not a real give and take. There's no wisdom there to challenge your folly and vice versa. So friends loving each other enough to be candid and to challenge one another and as we all know, constructive criticism is helpful to build character, to correct us, to help us. So true friendship is marked by honesty even when it hurts. The point is not to harm, the point is to hurt in order to help. You're willing to hurt in order to help. Hurting without harming. So gossip and slander, that's harm. Speaking the truth in love might hurt. Ouch. Might be a ding to my pride, but you're ultimately seeking to help me. So when you are loved this way, it's not always going to feel like love. Might sharpen your face in the short run. But if you're humble enough to receive it, because, again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to be wise. I want to be humble. I want to receive wise counsel from my friend. And if your friend is truly doing it in love, you're going to come away saying amen to better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And again, perhaps we should note that sharpening is purposeful. Okay? Friendship is is such that it's always about something. Romantic love is different than friendship love. Okay, lovers look into each other's eyes. You know, you're so beautiful. You know, like friends stand shoulder to shoulder and share a common interest. So C.S. Lewis put it this way, nothing is less like a friendship than a love affair. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Although sometimes they do, and it might be an indication that it's possible sometimes friendship can be an idol. That might be an indication if you're always talking about your friendship. Could be an idol, maybe not, but anyway, just what that's worth. Um, Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends are side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. For Christians, our friendships will certainly start and grow based on some common interests, but our greatest shared interest... And the deepest source of that closeness and constancy is Christ. So back to Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. Just clashing for the sake of clashing doesn't do any good. In fact, clumsy friction can dull rather than sharpen. So this is purposeful sharpening, purposeful friction. Christian friendship is aimed at something Helping your friend and being helped by your friend to grow in Christ-likeness To treasure Christ more and to become more like him. So in this sense Christian friendship is Christian fellowship like in concentrated form Because I mean we can't we can't ultimately We can't ultimately go deep deep with everybody, right? And this is not like a justification for cliques and silos in the church, but like we also have to have like realistic expectations of each other. We can be friendly and loving toward all of our brothers and sisters, and we should, but we're never going to be able to go friendship deep with everybody, and that's okay. If we're all committed to this, then everybody's going to get covered. It's like even why we do community groups, because you need a family within the family so that you can focus more, like in, in these ways. So, marks of a good friend, closeness, commitment, candor. And then lastly, as far as marks of a good friend, let's consider the math that marks good friendship, okay? So, I was at the fall festival yesterday, which was great. Thankful for everybody that served and volunteered, and Josh and Chelsea that, you know, led the charge, pulling this thing together again. And so, I was on ice cream detail Um, From one to two, had Diane Sparks standing right beside me. And, you know, uh, I knew I was going to be preaching on this. In fact, maybe she even said something about it. She was looking forward to the friendship thing. And so I just asked her, you know, what have been some of the most significant um, pieces of wisdom or, you know, helpful Yeah, just what's been most helpful when you think about friendship in your lifetime. Remember, I'm in grade school, okay? And I think she's probably a few grades ahead of me, so I wanted to listen and learn. And she almost verbatim quoted that J.C. Ryle quote. And, you know, she couldn't remember, like, maybe I heard it way back when, but she was just out of her own experience, she shared that quote. And I was like, hey, I'm going to quote that thing tomorrow. Did you know that was, you know, J.C. quite quote? Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Like, how awesome is that friendship math? This is a gift from God because he loves us. He's so kind. Friendship adds. We're talking math here, right? Addition. Adds joy. And not only adds, it actually multiplies it. So think about it this way. If you ever enjoy something and you got nobody to share it with, doesn't that stink? It's like having a cat on, and then. Uh. But if you have somebody that, in fact, especially if it's the perfect person to share it with, it actually doubles your joy. When you can share it with them and they enjoy it and you enjoy it together, adding joy, multiplying joy, even. Did you see that? Like so, I'm sure some of you came in. I. This is terrible. I was up late last night. Did the Phillies play last night? I'm dead serious and I played college baseball. I'm... They did they? They won. Okay, perfect illustration. Here we go. So did, has anybody said anything about the Phillies in the hallway? I'm guessing so. And like, you doubled your joy because you're a Phillies fan and I'm a Phillies fan and woohoo! <laughs> but like if you had to be in solitary confinement and you had your little TV Like, yeah, you could be fist-pumping in solitary confinement, but it would stink to not be able to, like, share it with any Philly fans, right? But, man, if you could have been at the stadium, like, that would have been even better. Friendship math. We do this all the time. It can be the sweetest with Jesus. So friendship doubles our joys, and it halves our Sorry, that would be division. Friendship math. Halves are sorrows and troubles. Friends bear one another's burdens. Your friend is burdened and you enter in, which means sometimes that's heavy. Sometimes you want to just avoid that because you feel like you're tapped out, but like you take on, you engage, you listen, you give them that shoulder to cry on or whatever. You take on some weight so that your friend's burden is lightened even if it's just you being with them and listening. Friendship is costly because of this. But the whole point is a friend loves at all times, sharing the joys, sharing the sorrows. And this is you know, memorably illustrated, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. When Christian, he gets depressed, and he's in Doubting Castle, and he's kind of like paralyzed, and hopeful is there with him, and he speaks words of encouragement and helps him escape the darkness. And I'm sure you could multiply examples from your own life of people who have been that for you. So listen, talking about all these marks, and I think we, if we're honest, we could all say, well, yeah, I haven't always done that. I've failed at being a good friend. And you also may be thinking of how your friends have failed you. You. So listen, this is again largely in the realm of the aspirational. It's what are we headed toward? What do we want to become? Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. So of course we're always bumping into, we're being hit by relational disappointment. I mean, deep and lasting friendship can be rare on earth. Even when it is present, it's never without pain or disappointment. Sometimes it seems like there's unequal commitment. (laughs) You know, like so many ways in which this can can be so far less than ideal. But if we don't have a beacon, a target of what we're aiming at, we won't know where to go. We won't know how to grow in wisdom. And seek to cultivate the right things. And actually, at one level, we're always going to be left longing here on earth. It's never going to be perfect here. And I think actually God intends it that way. So he's not cruel in that. But the point is you're never going to be fully satisfied until you're in his presence. And sin, everything that drives us apart vertically and horizontally, is completely removed. If we had friendship heaven here on earth, we would never long for the true friend that sticks closer than a brother and who lays down his life for his friends. So listen, I, I want to be sensitive because there can be so much pain and ache and longing, and it's right because we should desire and pursue good friendship in this life. But also, can I say, don't begrudge the aches and the loneliness and the gaps and the voids. It is intended to drive you to Jesus. He alone is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you actually yield to that loving goad rather than resenting it, you will find no greater love than his, no greater intimacy, no greater constancy, no greater candor, no greater encouragement than his, which leads us to point number three, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus, the friend of sinners. This is the best news you're gonna hear today. Nobody believes me on that? This is the best news you're going to hear today. You and I were made for friendship. Did you know that? It's actually how God designed it from the beginning. Like, from the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Walking with someone is an idiom of friendship. And then they stabbed God in the back. And I'm gonna say we, because this is all of us. And if we just skate over this part, we're not gonna realize how sweet and wonderful the friendship of Jesus is. So let this sink in. This is you and me, all of us. We stabbed God in the back. We betrayed him we were turncoats, we were traitors. Have any of those things happened to you? Even if it was when you were in junior high? maybe You're in junior high and maybe it's happened to you. How'd that feel? How should God react to that just wretched dishonor? He he made this paradise for his people. He said, you can eat from anything. He blessed them a maximum freedom. There was one prohibition. He's walking with them in the cool of the day. Like, everything is perfect. And then they just told him to shove off. We don't want you. We just want your gifts. We'll determine what's good for us. Thank you. How should God react to that kind of wretched dishonor? Like making ourselves his enemies. Like we deserve to be destroyed. And instead, Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could die, lay down his life for his friends. We were enemies. Lay down his life to make us his friends. Greater love has no one than this. Olivia read it from John 15. He laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said that before the cross so that the disciples and all of us would understand that the cross was the ultimate act of cosmic friendship. I mean, the, listen, the Pharisees couldn't believe that Jesus ate with Sinners. Because to have table fellowship with them was an overture of friendship. So they slandered him, you know, as a glutton and a drunkard because he was with tax collectors and sinners. But the whole point is that he came down and did everything possible to bring us back into that friendship, intimacy, and forever covenantal relationship. He did everything possible. He had to take on flesh and blood to be our substitute, to pay for our wicked treason. Substitute so that he could justify us. He can't just sweep our sin under the rug and wink and let us in the back door like, ah, we're all good. No, he's too just and holy for that. So how can he give us mercy? On what basis? He poured out the wrath. He poured out the condemnation, the judgment on his son, so that he could be both just, payment's been made, and the justifier. Substitution for the sake of justification, for the sake of reconciliation, so that we could be at peace with God, at friends with God again. So Tim Keller says it this way, the entire history of redemption, in a sense, is a giant cosmic act of friendship, Do you think maybe? Do you think maybe, I know I'm among people in this category, we might not think highly enough of friendship? And then what a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. He knows all about us, even better than we know ourselves, and he loves us anyway. While we were still sinners, he came to die for us. Talk about covenantal friendship. We have been befriended by the greatest friend. If you are in Christ, if you have recognized that cosmic treason, I'm guilty, I got no help, no hope, like I'm toast unless Jesus is my savior. And then turning from your sin and trusting in him, you're reconciled to God and at peace. You could have come in this morning as an enemy of God and go out as a beloved friend of God. Repent and believe. Trust Jesus. He is the great friend of sinners. Drew Hunter, book called Made for Friendship. Um, The student ministry um, young men went through it this summer. I think the ladies went through it recently as well. It's a great book. um, Highly recommended. He writes, Jesus is the one who lets lets us all the way in and loves us to the very end. That's the best news we're gonna hear. Today And listen, I, I want to just say this because I know for me, it can, it can still just sound a little trite, a little quaint, a little sentimental. Jesus is my friend. And I was so convicted this past week because, listen, like that's so wrong to feel like the friendship of Jesus is a trifle. Here's how it hit me this week. I thought, you know, there've been plenty of times when, you know, I've lamented the lack of close friends or you and I, I you know, it's so easy to be focused on horizontal relationships and friendships, whether that's good or whether that's bad, where it's going well or going poorly. And then there've been other times when I've tried to encourage somebody who's struggling in the midst of a friendship famine. And remind them of the sweet reality of friendship with Jesus, and how have I reacted, and how have they reacted? Well, yeah, but, 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 like, how wrong, how foolish is us is it of us for, for us to treat the friendship of God in Christ as if it's a trifle? You've been befriended by infinite greatness and infinite goodness. Like if I told you like right now that I was hanging out with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey last night watching the Phillies game which obviously didn't happen because I had to ask you if they played last night um, and I went on and on about you know, what we ate and what we talked about and whatever. What if I told you Jalen Hurts is always calling me to play Xbox What if I told you that Elon and Musk text me memes all the time and he's always picking, he always picks up the phone when I, when I call him. He always takes my calls. Okay, you fill in the blank with whoever is most impressive to you or whatever, not that these are the most impressive people to me, it's just, okay, whatever, you get the point? Anyway, what if I told you all that? First, you would not believe me, okay, but what if Travis and Taylor, you know, showed up at church next Sunday and then, you know, the next week or whatever, like what What if it was actually true? You would be really impressed that I must be, like, way more important than you thought. You see where I'm going with this. God. God. God wants to be your friend. Again, it sounds quaint and sentimental when we say it. That's our problem. Not problem with the reality we have trouble believing god actually loves us and wants relationship with us like this would be an area where i think we all could grow in wisdom treasuring like this is mind-boggling i mean jesus said it i'm not making this stuff up greater love is no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command you which might sound a little weird But he's just commanded them to love one another. My friends love like I love them. And my love is going to enable you to love like I've loved you. So love like I've loved you. And you'll prove to be my friends. You'll show yourself to be my friends. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all I've heard from my father I've made known to you. And then listen to this. Especially if you have just felt like, I just never, I I just always get dealt the shorthand. And, you know, we could laugh about, like, were you the person that was picked last for the kickball games or whatever, and maybe that's funny, maybe that actually really, I mean, that was painful, I'm sure, for some of you, to be the last person picked. But listen, this is Jesus saying to his disciples, and by extension to all of his disciples, You didn't choose me. I chose you. 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 I want you. I want to be friends with you. Is there a greater person in the universe? No. We long to have friendship with those greater than us. But oftentimes that would come at a cost if you actually know somebody that's kind of great, you know, has a high position in some way or other. Usually that means they're less accessible, right? Because they're so busy and they've got so many demands. And then you have the person that's like really sympathetic, but they're not very great. They're available, but they're not really great. It's not with Jesus. You got the best of both worlds. The greatness of his greatness makes the closeness of his availability and closeness that much more amazing. I mean, Paul knew this. The friendship of the Lord Jesus, even when he was abandoned by earthly friends, especially when he was abandoned by earthly friends, 2 Timothy 4, 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then because he knew How Jesus had treated him despite Paul's rebellious heart. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. So, no matter if you are in a friendship feast or friendship famine, Jesus is and can be and must be your greatest friend. The best of earthly friends. They're just a dim little candle to the blazing sun of friendship with Jesus that's ours. Don't let good friends replace the centrality of Jesus. Let them be a sunbeam that you can trace back to the source, the great friend. And then let the centrality of Jesus shape and sweeten the friendship community you have and make it deeper and wider. And then if you're in a friendship, famine. Like, if you feel like you're all alone. Listen, Jesus has chosen you to be his friend. You are never alone. Draw near to the one who's done everything necessary to draw near to you. He died to let you all the way in, and he will never let you down. And empowered by this love of the great friend, the friend of sinners, go and make friends. So the worship team can come up. This last point is quick. Because again, wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. We have been friended by the great friend and we can now friend others. Wise Christians make good friends because of Jesus. We make friends because Jesus first made us us his friend. Maybe your mother, this is just gonna be quick. Maybe your mother taught you I don't know. Did you ever hear this from somebody? Your dad, your mom? You won't find a friend by wanting a friend. To have a friend, you gotta be a friend. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. You can't control finding those faithful friends that you long for. You can't control whether they'll reciprocate or not, but you can control, by God's grace, whether you will proactively be a friend to others. And think back to those marks of friendship closeness constancy, candor, and start doing that friendship math all by the grace of Jesus. We can befriend because he first befriended us. Let's pray. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh Lord, please make your friendship grace so much greater to us. It is great beyond our wildest imaginations, but we just don't see it. (laughs) We think whatever that 443-foot-tall height is everything when Mount Everest is waiting for us to to start climbing and scaling and seeing the views. So help us not to keep um, be blind and provincial and just have our heads down, open our eyes to see the glory of your gracious friendship, and by that befriending grace, help us to make make friends. In Jesus' name, amen.